Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com, drygoods.11warriors.com. I am Johnny. He is Andy. I don't know why I was worried. It was the Dubgate weekend, which is an automatic win for Ohio State. Uh, it's it's Look, Ohio State was rolling. Every Everybody's looked good. I've been looking for ways to say that this team isn't as good as they actually are. And every week I am just proven wrong. So I don't, they, I mean, people were talking about, I was reading some recaps, Andy, about this game, about Wisconsin and, you know, how Ohio State took a little while to get going. And I'm like, to me, this is just like a tank, you know, like a Sherman tank that maybe takes about 10 minutes to get up to full speed. And then once it does, it's it's impossible to stop. So I don't know why I was worried. I don't know why I thought this was going to be, um, as difficult as game as as I thought it was because this was Ohio State and their offense in particular just basically doing what they do and it was it was pretty badass. I don't know how did you how did you feel about what we saw on Saturday? Yeah, I thought you know, I thought Ryan Day really hit it on the head when he was talking about not getting his ego involved because that early going. So I, I'm sitting there watching it and getting nervous in the early going. You know, it's raining biblical proportions or something and there's you know you're being super conservative with the game plan because of that and so it was nice hearing day talk about his mindset and not getting his ego involved in other words trying to force things to happen that the weather wasn't going to let you the last thing you want to do as he alluded to is have justin fields out there throwing picks but you're sitting there watching you're like man you know this is a game that's going to blow open one way or the other at some point so you're feeling super nervous at first and then man when it you know starts clicking in the second quarter as it seems to do every week then it was there was no turning back uh, right. there there was that score right before halftime and then after that it's like the game was never really in question once ohio state went up by a second score you're like they can't you know wisconsin can't catch up they just don't have the horses to catch up with the buckeyes when they're in too deep a hole well, see, that's the thing, Pretty though. Crazy, they, but I, I like your tank analogy. I feel like we should <laughs> we should hold on to that. You know, it's because they've been super. I mean, that's been the knock all year long. It's not really much of a knock, but right first quarters, you're like, okay, teams are throwing the kitchen sink at Ohio State, and and you'd see teams have some success, or you know, maybe they'd get a ring. And it's like the staff that just adjusts the 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 players kind of settle into their groove. Opponents don't have either the athleticism or the depth to keep up. And the next thing you know, it's a complete and utter beatdown. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing: I, Wisconsin does have the dogs to keep up with Ohio State. They've got they had. I mean, I, I think they still do have, but they had one of the best running backs in the entire country. Um, and that that Jonathan Taylor wasn't able to get anything happening on the ground. I mean, the dude had 20 carries for 50 what 52 yards. That's that's nothing. And I was really afraid that Wisconsin was going to be able to sustain drives, shorten the game. Taylor was just going to run over dudes and and do what he you know does and has been doing pretty much his entire career and that just didn't happen. Um, and and what's wild? So after the game, I wrote this about uh, not just Jonathan Taylor but previous Wisconsin running backs. There is a long and storied history of Wisconsin running backs basically just dominating up and down the the schedule and just you know accumulating thousands and thousands of yards. Jonathan Taylor's got almost five thousand yards. Uh, in his college career and then coming into Columbus or playing Ohio state in Madison and just getting skunked on the ground. And it's, it's, it's really wild. His worst game. This is Jonathan Taylor's worst game, worst game in terms of yards per carry in his entire career, which again, has accumulated over 5,000 yards 
And previously, his worst game in terms of yards per carry, and I think his worst overall in terms of total yardage, was his game against Ohio State in 2017. So it's just, it's, again, I, I worry because I'm a worrier, but history probably should have told me that Ohio State was going to do this to Taylor again. And as a result, look, Cone's not coming out there and, and fun slinging it for 300 yards. So if you can't get Taylor going, uh, Wisconsin doesn't have much of an offense. And Ohio State, I mean, Ohio State does. <laughs> they have a great offense, and they showed it. And it didn't matter that it was raining cats and dogs. J.K. Dobbins went out and just punked Taylor on national television, most watched game on Saturday. Uh, it was it was wild, man. It was a really fun game to watch. I actually thoroughly enjoyed this, this beatdown. One of the things I think is really interesting with that history lesson about Wisconsin running backs in general, I think that speaks to the the difference in the talent. So you're you're right. Wisconsin has NFL players on that roster, no question. Jonathan Taylor's a great running back, no question. But the the difference in the number of NFL players on yeah. one roster versus the other is not insignificant. So you'll see Wisconsin, you know, Wisconsin's a team that most schools would like to have, right? So you're you're consistently 10 win plus season, you're consistently you know, going to decent bowl games and and winning as often as not, you know, you're consistently in the conversation for a Big Ten title game berth. It's a great program by any standard other than an Ohio State or an Alabama or more recently a Clemson, right? So you, you look at that program and say, okay, um, these Wisconsin running backs make, make, you know, big names for themselves running against teams that don't have their level of talent and then when they do run up a team like well even look at um, his stat line versus Michigan State you know not great why is that Michigan State's a great defense against the run typically yeah and so you get up against teams that are designed to be able to stop that and take that away and then you see oh, okay you know what these the the Badgers are sort of one-dimensional compared to a team like Ohio State that can beat you 27 different ways and not get bored yeah, you know, and it's and it's super wild because you just watch this and you go like, oh, there are no weaknesses on this team. That that's really what I think I'm trying to get to with this is that I tuned in, fully expecting some part of the Wisconsin offense. I don't know, maybe they throw the tight ends, John the Taylor, whatever, would expose at least a little bit of a weakness, especially in the Ohio State defense, which I don't think has been tested, you know, a ton this season, despite the fact that their, you know, their schedule is a lot better than what people think. But they didn't at all. And I don't know, I, I really don't know what other tests remain on the schedule in terms of exposing something that we haven't thought of, right? Because, you know, you're a worrier, like I'm a worrier and I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about what's going to happen and all these other things. And I'm looking for potential weaknesses and what Ohio State's going to look bad at and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I just don't think there's anything mm-hmm. on the schedule that's going to expose that. I, I guess you could say maybe Penn State in the passing game a little bit, but like to me, this is going to be Chase Young destroying quarterbacks. It's going to be yeah. J.K. Dobbins running for a trillion yards. It's going to be, you know, Justin Fields continuing to make really good decisions and converting third downs with impunity. Like, I, I just I don't know what else remains on the schedule that can expose any of that, uh, even until you get to like the potential college football playoffs. They look like and people keep repeating this, but it's true. They look like the most complete team in college football right now, period. Yeah. 
They really do. And so the thing about the way the schedule lines up from here on out is Ohio State will continue to face teams who have defenses that are pretty good and offenses that just aren't, relatively right. speaking. Right. So looking at a Penn State, for example, you know, they're, uh, and, and uh, I'll go back to using my SP plus uh, rankings from, from Bill Connolly there just because they're a handy number to use. You know, so if Penn State's a top seven defense this week uh, in his defensive ratings, they're offense is only number 15. I say only, I mean, that's not terrible, right? It's a top 20 offense sure. by his rating system, but the defense better than the offense. When you looked at um, after this week, Wisconsin's then still the number three defense by his rating system. It's offense is the number 28, right? So there's yeah. this big gap where an Ohio state on the other hand is top five in both categories. You know, Alabama's top 10 in both categories. So there's, so let's project this out and Ohio state gets to um, a potential playoff berth versus an Alabama or an LSU. That's where the script is flipped and where you'll see offenses that are better than the team's defenses versus pretty much every team Ohio's played, Ohio state's played recently, Michigan state, certainly Northwestern, obviously, um, and Wisconsin. It's, it's all been defenses are the strength and Ohio State's offense shows no weakness against the statistically best defenses in the country. So that, that's kind of interesting to me and in one of the storylines I'll, I'll be watching. The one weakness, and, and you know, I don't want to be the, the, the guy who, you know, brings down the rain on us by, by naming the devil, but it's quarterback depth, right? That's the only sure. thing that derails this runaway freight train. Yeah, it's, and then and you saw obviously – yeah, and, and when Chugs had to come in because, you know, uh, Fields hurt his back a little bit, people kind of held their collective breath, you know, for a little bit. I know that, like, everybody was like, okay, this just kind of waiting for it because this is Ohio State and you expect the quarterback to get hurt at some point and there's going to be some narrative or storyline about how, okay, the backup, got to do it. Um, I don't – I mean, without Justin Fields, I don't think they're obviously as good as they are with him. I don't know that – Here's what I would say. Again, and again, this is to take nothing away from Justin Fields. His decision-making has been impeccable this season. He is just very canny about uh, finding, um, I think, his hot receivers. Like he, he does a really, really great job at finding guys who just get open and not trying to force things. Like He's just very, very methodical, and, and I, I love his presence as a quarterback. Here's what I'll say, though. I really think the true star of the offense right now is J.K. Dobbins. And the reason why I say that is he he is inevitable, right? He is the Thanos of this offense because you watch him and every game, okay, first three or four carries, he's getting maybe two or three yards per carry. And then all of a sudden it just starts a snowball. And then he's getting five yards and then he's getting six yards and then he pulls off a 60-yard run. And then after that, it's like just it, it's it, everything breaks open. And I don't know that they are a terrible team with Chris Chuganov. I, I think they're still one of the best teams in the country. And, and again, are they elite? Are they as good as LSU, Bama? No, they're not. Justin Fields is a special player. But I also really think that right now, to me, what really is the key here for that offense is J.K. Dobbins and his ability to, to uh, move the chains. And by the way, real quick. Master Teague behind him, it can do some really special things as well. So they're just there's so many redundancies built into this offense that it's like I don't. I mean, they just seem like they've got a plan for everything, and that's what's most impressive to me. It doesn't seem like they're just relying on one guy to be completely 
unbelievably awesome all the time. They can they have these redundancies in place where okay, KJ, you know, KJ Hill isn't, you know, catching the passes that he needs to. Fine. We got five other guys we can throw to. You know, like JK Dobbins getting stuff. All right, Master Teague's gonna like become the bowling ball for a few, you know, downs and like really mess with the linebackers. Like they have so many things that they can do offensively. I just I, I don't see any defense in college football that can consistently stop them right now because I watch all these other games with Alabama and LSU and and yeah their defenses are good but high state has proven it against some really good defenses that they just can't be stopped right now um and it's 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 a hell of a thing to watch it's it's awesome I think there's a case to be made that uh, J.K. Dobbins maybe is simultaneously as Damon Arnett put it the uh, best back in the country and also maybe the most underappreciated guy on Ohio State's roster right now relative to how good he is uh, you know right. so um, take take Saturday's game for example I, I think the guy who got the most hype coming out of the game and deservedly so is Chase Young we'll probably talk about him a little bit later on in the program I think and and next to that you have a guy that any other game um, J.K. Dobbins comes around Big Ten offensive player in the week um, to, to put it mildly but he was really really good he's now the only guy in school history to crossed the thousand yard mark in three consecutive his freshman, sophomore, junior seasons. And, you know, he's just continuing to chew up yards. Um, the only running back in history to do that thousand yard thing, the freshman, sophomore, junior season, that's pretty incredible. When you look at the guys who have uh, come before him to tote the rock and his rushing total now is only second uh, best in the country behind Chubba Hubbard at Oklahoma state. And when you acknowledge the fact that they just don't play defense in the big 12 at all, you know, right. it's it's not hard for a back to uh, put up massive yardage <laughs> playing uh, those Big Twelve conference tilts. So, well, I'm I'm all on board with the J.K. Dobbins love. Yeah, and the other thing about Chuba, and again, I love Chuba Hubbard. I, I love his story. You know, coming from the Great White North and and doing what he's doing at Oklahoma State is incredible. He also has like you know what over sixty more carries than J.K. You know what I mean? Like this is. Right what Dobbins is doing and how he's doing it is just kind of unbelievable. And I don't, I mean, that's the thing. If, if I'm saying this two or three games into the season, I feel like to me, it sounds like hyperbole. I don't know that I necessarily believe it at this point in the season, this many games in that's a, he's a proven commodity, right? To me, that's a situation where you have to step back and say like, Holy hell, this guy is not going to stop. He's just going to get tougher and tougher and better and better as the weeks go on. And yeah, man, I, I just, it, it, it is unbelievable. Um, a, how incredible he's been and B, I just love the fact that this is such a bounce back season for him as well. Um, that just, right. you know, I, I love that. That gives me the, the warm fuzzies inside because this is clearly the kind of season that he wanted to have. And I'm just, I'm really happy that he's having it. Um, I think that's pretty kick-ass. So, that Ohio State comes out. Obviously, they just they destroy Wisconsin. Uh, the Dubgate remains undefeated, which you know we all love. And Woo. going into this next weekend, we we've got we've got some problems. If you're a college football fan, this is something that I warned people about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, this this next one coming up is pretty dire. I think you've got Georgia and Florida, right? And then you've got pretty much nothing else. Um, yeah. So. Ohio State not only goes on a three bye week stretch, but then, you know, pretty much every other program in the country takes next week off. So, yeah, uh, yeah, the top three teams aren't doing nothing. And and really, it's just one of those things where, like, okay, well, I guess we'll wait for 
Penn State and Minnesota on the ninth, maybe. But yeah, next week's a little dire. So here's what I'll say. All right. That means that we have a couple of weeks to do this, which is to start debating about the Heisman. And the Heisman is probably the most overly discussed uh, event slash award in college sports because it, it really has been so narrowly defined as the years have gone on, which is unfortunate. And I, I really... I really hate that it's become just the best quarterback on a contending team because it, it shouldn't be that, especially with football and especially with college football. There's so many ways that you can impact the game. And, you know, I understand that if you if Joe Burrow continues to throw for like 350 yards, you want to give it to him that I don't have a problem with. But if he falters, I really believe that there are other guys who should get a shot at it. I believe in Dominican Sue, for example, should have won it um, when he was a finalist. And uh, actually, a uh, uh, Bo Bishop. Uh, who was obviously with the Dubcast for a while, he uh, voted. He had a vote that year and actually voted mm-hmm. for Dominican Sue wisely, in my view. So here's what we're going to do, all right? Ohio State has three players that are, I would say, not necessarily like a lock to become Heisman finalists. I think a lot can happen until then. But what I would say is that they've got three players that maybe they should start looking at in terms of who are we going to promote to be our Heisman guy. And you can't do it for all three. You cannot say that we're going to put up, you know, Chase Young, Justin Fields, and J.K. Dobbins for Heisman candidacy, right? Because in the past, you know, if you really want to be serious about it, you got to really start sending out, you know, social media stuff and bumping them out with highlights and just basically having a campaign. You can only do that for one of these guys. So, Andy Vance, here's what I'm going to do. You have the option uh, to pick the numbers one, two, or three. One, two, or three corresponds to J.K. Dobbins, Justin Fields, or Chase. I'm not going to tell you which order that is in. Um, you're going to pick one of them randomly, and then I'm going to ask you to make the case for one of these three players. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick one of the two options that I like best <laughs> and really screw you over. <laughs> And then make the case for them instead. And then I guess the the other person will kind of be uh, the one left out. So one, two, or three. What what number will you pick here, Andy? I'll split the uprights and say number two. Okay, number two is Justin Fields. So make the case for Justin Fields to be Ohio State's Heisman uh, candidate that they are going to bump up and and try to get to New York. Yeah, the case here is really simple. He, he is the most important position on the field and is playing the most important position in the field in a, in an award uh, campaign for an award that has been almost exclusively a quarterback award for the past 20 years. I think something like only two running backs have won it uh, against like 18 quarterbacks since the 2000 season. And so this is a case where you've got to back the horse that's most likely to win. In that case, it's going to be a quarterback you make the case for field specifically, it's pretty simple. He has been uh, almost flawless in terms of his decision-making, his touchdown to interception ratio among uh, the top quarterbacks in the country is better than any of them. I mean, I think it was, he's had one pick all season against a bucket load of touchdowns. And while I'll acknowledge that he may not have the eye-popping video game stats of say a Jalen Hurts or some of the other uh, quarterbacks potentially to a uh, at Alabama, if he comes back from surgery and lights up um, uh, an LSU, as an example, Fields is orchestrating 
what has been one of the most consistently dominant offenses in the country and doing it with a variety of ways, uh, both through the air and on the ground. He's a threat to get you 10 yards with his feet every time he either in a design run or because of a busted play just makes it happen. Although he's been sacked a few times this season, it wasn't necessarily because of poor decision-making on his part, but because he was trying to make something happen to move the ball down the field. Justin Fields, every bit uh, Heisman worthy in this vote. This would be voters' mind. Okay, now, so I, I appreciate that, and I also appreciate the fact that you know you're putting Justin Fields out as the most logical choice right for ohio state to to promote because i would agree with you right like if you if you're trying to get an ohio state player to win a heisman you want to go with the quarterback because that's going to be like traditionally what gets the most publicity obviously justin fields has had an incredible season uh i i don't think that's a bad i think that's a good pitch i appreciate that i am going to go and, this and up tough, until this actually. week he was the only buckeye the one thing i, I i've neglected to mention he's also the only guy vegans vegas has been giving odds from right. Ohio State to win the trophy up until up until maybe the the past 48 hours or so. <laughs> right. And that's okay. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm split between what I would say is the most likely candidate and what I think is the more the morally correct candidate for Ohio State yeah. to back. And I'm going to say Chase Young because I want to be morally correct. They need to promote a defensive player that is making an impact on the game every single snap. And I think that's how you do it. You have to say, look, I know that these quarterbacks are getting the ball every snap, but you know what? Chase Young is getting to the ball damn near every snap too. And you have to acknowledge, if you're going to acknowledge that a quarterback is having this impact on the offense, you got to acknowledge the impact that Chase Young is having on the defense. This amount of strip sacks that he's had alone, to say nothing of the total amount of sacks, but four sacks against Wisconsin is mind-boggling. Um, what he's been able to do as a defensive player is really crazy. And here's here's where I'm putting my my chips all in. During the Wisconsin game, they had a, a really weird lineup defensively where Chase ended up becoming kind of a stand-up linebacker for a down. And that just scared the that scared the absolute hell out of uh Wisconsin's offense they saw that they took one look at him backing off from the line and getting in a semi-linebacker position and immediately called timeout because they knew that whatever Chase Young was about to do was going to just like be like a nuclear bomb on their entire offensive game plan they had no way to prepare for that so they're like nope timeout this isn't gonna work and he still was able to make an impact on the play and so here's what I'll say my candidacy for Chase Young is predicated on two things. One, uh, he's already shown that he is going to have immediate direct impact on the game pretty much every single down, and I expect that to continue. Two, I expect that he is going to be able to continue to do things like these strip sacks. Remember, when Orlando Pace you know, was a, you know, a Heisman candidate, obviously didn't really have a shot at winning it, but it was cool to see him become one of the finalists, or at least in the top you know, group. Um, you got to have something that you can kind of hang your hat on, right? And he had the pancakes, and everybody was taught, like, you know, creating the pancake stat and whatnot. Well, I think Chase Young can make the strip sack. I think that can be the thing that Ohio State really promotes to the dude. Here's the other thing when they play Michigan, Shea Patterson's hands are the size of like grapes, like they're tiny little, like malformed, misshapen things. I don't know how he actually grips a football. I think he like kind of like put stick them on his like nubs and just kind of like hucks it. What I'm saying is that Chase Young is going to have approximately 500 strip sacks against Michigan. So 
that's going to be, if that's the culminating thing, right? If that's the thing that Heisman voters look at and go, holy crap, Chase Young is, is this is the opportunity to rectify the Indomitian Sioux mistake that we made. Uh, I think he'll, he'll make that statement. So for me, Ohio State needs to throw all their weight behind Chase Young, let him do what he does, promote those strip sacks as much as you possibly can and watch him get like 50 of them against Michigan. And you'll have a you'll have the first defensive Heisman winner in you know forever. So um, yeah, that would be mine. And, and it's not that J.K. Dobbins getting left out of the ring because I, I think that his his offensive statistics really are kind of impressive at this point and will continue to be so. But uh, I'm going for the gusto, and I say Chase Young should be the guy that they they go for. I'm going to hit you with uh, Amen, brother. And uh, if the Heisman Trust wants to call and and uh, add me to its role of voters, I'm sitting by the phone waiting. Because uh, <laughs> if I was if I was punching it, and while I gave uh, you know a full throated um, campaign for Justin Fields earlier in the program, if I were voting, Chase Young is absolutely the guy that uh, that that I would pull the trigger for yeah for, for all the reasons you outlined and more he is the most dominant defensive player he may be the most dominant player at any position on the field this season in college football um legitimate depending on who ends up with the first pick but legitimate contender for top overall pick in the nfl draft in my mind it's clear he could step on a field uh at any level of the game right now and and be um a a starter if not one of the best players you, you look at Nick Boza is a legitimate candidate, not just for rookie of the year, but defensive player of the year in the National Football League. And I think you and I probably agree that Young is every bit as good and probably better at the same position as uh, is NB Smaller Bear. Uh, You look at um, Young being the second guy in school history to record double-digit sacks in back-to-back seasons, and that's through eight games, friends. (laughs) He ain't through yet. Right. I mean, the the statistics are just going to continue to pile up. I personally think he's going to break um, Vernon Golston's single se- season sack record um, because, oh, by the way, he's what, half a sack shy now through eight <laughs> games. So that's going to happen. He's going to shatter that and maybe put it out of reach for every player um, for the next 20 years. Uh, he's averaging one and a half sacks a game. He's He's going to average potentially two sacks a game. By the time he's going, he's, you know, racking up four and five a pace in some of the more recent games. That's crazy. Yeah. This is crazy yeah. stuff we're talking about. Nobody's yeah. done what he's doing for a long, long time. I mean, I, I think really it's possible that you could see him reaching or surpassing um, Terrell Suggs all-time NCAA single-season sack record at 24. He's on pace to do that or to come yeah. close to it. Uh, so, I mean, so, I mean, I, I feel like... I feel like that's a possibility. Here's the other thing. You mentioned Indomitian and Sue earlier. I think Sue finished like fourth in 2009. Yeah. Here's what I'll say that Young has that Sue didn't, and, and that's a national championship contender right. team. So right. that, that Nebraska team was nowhere near as good as Ohio State's team is. Um, and, and Young's going to have opportunities in the Penn State game. He's going to have opportunities in the Michigan game. He's going to have opportunities in the Big Ten championship game to really make his case in a big way. His stats are going to be super gaudy by then because he plays Rutgers in Maryland. <laughs> right. and so the records he could be, I mean, the records he could be breaking in those marquee games, you know, could be national records. So I think that goes a long way. Yeah. By the way, it Plus this he looks be, cool. And I, and I'll say this, I'll say, I have said this about 
the way Dwayne Haskins was handled in terms of records and things like that last season. Uh, there should be a huge effort made, especially against Maryland Rutgers, for Chase Young to get as many sacks as is humanly possible. In fact, if I were the defensive coaches at Ohio State, I would specifically game plan for Chase Young to be, you know, on one-on-one matchups as much as humanly possible, maybe give him a couple of INTs, basically just do whatever you got to do against Rutgers to try to bolster his mm-hmm. seismic campaign. Because really, there's no, I mean, it, it's Rutgers. This is not a team that you really need to, like, scheme for and plan for. So there should be, I think, a heavy effort made to make Chase Young look as good as humanly possible in that effort. Um, I think they really shortchanged Dwayne by not letting him get 500 yards a couple times and you know some other things like that uh so in my opinion yeah you gotta you gotta let that dude run wild and it's a great point that you make also that you know chasing has this team that's going to go on and do some really good things because um you're right like the the last really big thing that people saw with the Dominican Sioux was um their game against Texas and in that game, he was utterly dominant. He was incredible. But after that, it's kind of like, okay, well, let's let's watch all these other games because that's what actually matters nationally. And, it, you know, I think that ultimately hurt him a little bit. So I, that is an excellent point on your part. I totally agree with that. Now, um, here's the thing Ohio State is going to struggle with in terms of, you know, if, if you actually care about uh, a Buckeye winning the Heisman, and that's having three legitimate contenders. So I, I took sure. a look, um, the, athletic, the Athletic does a straw poll. And it looks to me like they had about they have about 34 voters in that straw poll. And so this week's edition, Young was number two to a friend of the program, Joe Burrow, who you may have heard of. Uh, <laughs> and Burrow was the, the prohibitive favorite in the, that straw poll this week. But Young came in second, 10 first place b- votes and then a dozen votes um, for each second and third. The, the next closest to him was Jalen Hurts. He only got three first place votes yeah uh, but then if you go down um so fourth was uh Tua from alabama fifth justin fields who had three first place votes and then sixth was jk dobbins who didn't have any first or second place votes but still came in in sixth place so you have you know three of the top six uh That's in good. that straw poll th- three of the top seven seems good to me. but the problem there yeah, it does seem good. And and there's a nice article at 11 Warriors, a popular site I'm fond of, talking about <laughs> why that may be bad for an individual's Heisman Trophy chances, the, the split the vote concept, but it's right. going to be pretty good for Ohio State's ultimate goal of winning a national championship. The challenge Ohio State has, though, and from a marketing standpoint is, you know, you want to keep all three of those guys happy unless uh, Dobbins and Fields tell the marketing department, hey, put put all your weight behind Chase Young. Um, you know, you you could see that scenario happening where voters outside the Southeast who will all jump on board for, you know, either an Alabama or LSU uh, quarterback. Right. You know, you, you're going to have to have enough voters outside the Southeastern region of the United States who want to say, yeah, you know, it is high time that a defensive player get a get a shot at this trophy. Yeah. And actually, it's funny that you say Joe Burrow, friend of the program, because he has been on our program. But we we interviewed I was looking at this today. We interviewed him when he was a recruit at Ohio State. And now I forever I'm going to rue the fact that I did not ask him about his Heisman candidacy four years ago. So I really I really dropped the ball on that is what I'm saying. You should totally um, get him back on the program. You know, we'll do know, a little retrospective on, you know, exactly. where <laughs> former former guests of the Dubcast. Where are they now? That's right. <laughs> 
That's right. Did you know that Joe Burrow is one of the best quarterbacks in college football right now? That's crazy, but true. Um, so we'll see how this plays out in the next few weeks. Uh, obviously, you've got time for the team to rest up and heal up a little bit, which is definitely necessary for some of the players. Um, you're going to play Maryland, which should be a chance to pass some stats, but you never know. I mean, they, they looked a lot more dangerous at the beginning of the season and, and that, not quite so much now. Then you've got Rutgers, which is an effective bye week. And frankly, I might even start Chris, <laughs> Chris chugging off in that game um, if I'm Ryan Day. And then you've got the, the gauntlet to kind of run through uh, towards the end of the season. So it'll be really interesting to see how this works out. Um, but yeah, I think um, we're in agreement here. If, if you're going to promote one guy, go all in, go for the gusto, uh, do the right thing and get Chase Young out ahead of it and, and make him your Heisman candidate. Um, by the way, so we're going to do ask us anything, which by the way, you can ask us anything by sending us questions to dubcast at 11 warriors.com or at 11 dubcast on Twitter. Before we get into the questions, I got a, I got a comment from a listener named Matt. And it's not a question, but he linked to me a Sports Illustrated article, which, by the way, Sports Illustrated does actually still write about sports from time to time these days. Um, and apparently ESPN, this is this is true, ESPN dropped the sponsor of the New Mexico Bowl because they found out that it's not a real company, which I just want to emphasize lends credence to my personal conspiracy theory slash belief that about a third of all bowls are for laundering money so i appreciate that matt brought this to my attention because i am 100 going to be keeping this in my back pocket when like half of the football world is indicted for fraud so i just want people to be aware of that you can check it out it's on sports <laughs> illustrated espn drops new mexico bowl title sponsor after discovering it isn't a real company the the do, do, i will what say was the company the, so that's what I was about to say. They should have been tipped off when it was like the fake bowl by fake product. No, I'm kidding. It's um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's, I, one, I two, saw one, that four, headline and I didn't. So it's, it was called yeah, I... dream house. And uh, yeah, they said there was like a production company and it turns out that instead of like a, a studio uh, it was literally just yeah. a vacant building <laughs> that they attached their, uh, they, they had attached their um, address to more or less. So they, yes, wow. <laughs> not, not a real thing. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to have further investigations into like the battle frog bowl or, or various other sponsors that don't seem to exist that you've never heard of until football bowl season. Um, because I'm convinced that that is certainly not a unique situation. I'm, I'm very excited. I very appreciate Matt for sending that in because it's it's just one of the happiest things I've seen all week. It's great. Yeah, I remember the Battle Frog. I remember the Battle Frog Bowl, and and you know that that was one that I thought was a clear tip to your to your concern right? no one had ever heard of no one had ever heard of that before and i'm pretty sure immediately after that like i saw a headline that they canceled all their races and i kept yeah. thinking i swore i played a video game on the super nintendo in about <laughs> Battle 1992 <laughs> Battletoads. that's it like i i knew that okay well take that little jaunt down memory lane yeah yeah they're all they're all fronts. I'm just saying it's it's entirely possible that you will see like, you know, the I don't know. You'll see some bowl sponsored by like 
you know, an earwax picking service or something like that, or some kind of like neti pot. And you're like, well, that doesn't like, it sounds like it, <laughs> it exists. And then you'll look it up and you'll go to their website that they advertise during the game. And it'll be like, you know, one of those hot spot or, or you know, go daddy, like, you know, squatting things that haven't actually established a site. You're like, huh, that's weird. Maybe I typed in the URL wrong. And no, you didn't type in the URL wrong. That's, that's just what no. it is. It's literally just a kid with 50 bucks who's squatting on a URL and then convinced ESPN to give them sponsorship of like, you know, whatever bowls in Memphis or something like that. So I'm just saying it's, it's coming, it's coming that my conspiracy theory is coming true and I will be able to write a tell all book and retire off the incredibly major profits that I make after blowing the lid off of this, this vast conspiracy. So the things I um, love about bowl games, aside from, the the sponsor thing is seeing the previous names of some of the oh bowls. sure so, yeah you, know, you you sort I'll, of like I'll take, take for I'll... yeah you take for granted the the rose orange sugar you know the, the the big bowls that have been the the same thing for a bajillion years but you know, then I scroll down through and I'm my dad and I used to get so confused you talk about bowl games and I'd say something about uh let's say for example the um trying to think which one it was but i'd say a bowl and dad's like didn't that used to be the copper bowl or didn't that used to be that because they were all originally like agricultural products you know the the, the citrus bowl the orange right, bowl right, the tangerine right. bowl the you know and it's all big tourism play but the the, the uh, citrus bowl is the one that kind of cracks me up citrus bowl tangerine bowl the florida citrus bowl the comp usa bowl the out the oh, i started to say the outhouse bowl the that was the rhouse.com bowl uh, that's another one of your made-up companies and you right. just go through like these, it was the the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl for. It's just so funny. Yeah, you change these bowl games names when the sponsor goes away or is found to be a a shell corporation for South American drug money. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm, that's all I'm saying, man. And it's fine. And you know what? If if look, I would respect it if they were just upfront about the fact that they're selling like knockoff, you know, Russian toilets instead of like, oh yeah, this is like a legitimate business that exists. So I'm just saying. Um, so the first question that we have here is from Nate. Nate wants to know, Nathan wants to know, which one lost team has the best chance of making the playoff at this point? Um, and what's interesting about that, so if you look at, you know, you look at the teams in, in college football, I, I would say that there are enough, um, there are enough undefeated teams right now where you're like, okay, well, that's not something we really got to think about, right? Like we're just, you know. They'll they'll just all be undefeated and blah blah blah. I don't know. How do you think that there's a team that is just going to keep lurking around and really be like a, a factor towards the end of the season here? So if I'm looking at current one loss teams, so it's Florida, Oregon, Georgia. You know, it's kind of the usual suspects. Sure. Oklahoma lost this week. That was probably the biggest. You know, that was the biggest upset. Yeah, of, I think they're done. Um, <laughs> The, yeah, so Oklahoma to me is toast because the Big 12 is not right. a great conference. Um, Clemson has the easiest path of, of any of the undefeateds because they they basically play a, a JV schedule compared to the other right. um, I mean, they're, power they're conferences. The most dangerous team is now Wake Forest. That's that's who they got to worry about till the end of the season. You know, and, and, you know, so of the one-loss teams, right, it's, it's Florida and Oregon uh, – Utah is a, is a one loss team, right? So those are the one loss yeah. teams that are sort of like hovering, hovering right outside the, you know, the, the, the current top four. And if I look at the, the odds makers, cause the odds makers know what's up. Um, 
Oregon's plus 400. Georgia's plus 270. They're still giving Oklahoma a plus 250, which kind of rocks my world because I, I really think Oklahoma's just dead in the water at this stage. Yeah. Um, and then Florida, there there's a plus 700 because the problem with Florida, obviously, is that they've they've got one of the tougher schedules to get there of the other one-loss team. So you sort of assume they're not going to uh, win the SEC title game. Right. And so that's, you know, you're, 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 it's going to be Alabama or LSU. I need to find um, Nate Silver and his crew at 538 usually have that nice little uh, tinker with the different oh, teams. Right. And if this team wins, then what are their, that's always a fun little, a fun little doodad with statistics on there. But I, yeah, I would probably, I'd probably say Oregon just because I think if there's a one loss team that gets in, it's going to be from the, the Pac-12 because um, it's not going to be from the Big 12. Yeah, well, um, it's definitely not say it's going to be two SEC teams, you know, so it's going to be Ohio State, two SEC teams and Clemson. Right. Okay, that's probably a thing that could happen. I think basically, I, I think how this is going to work out is you're going to see Florida or Georgia, and, and obviously they've got the game coming up, which is going to hash a lot of this out. Uh, I think between the two of them, they will have uh, probably the best shot at this point, just because you've got, I mean, let's say, okay, let's say one of them obviously is going to win on Saturday. They have the opportunity to win the SEC in general. I, I don't know that, I don't know that you can like keep one of them out um, if they end up like winning out. So I, you know, to me, they're the team that really like one of those two teams really has the the inside track on this. And obviously, mm-hmm. I don't think that would preclude either Alabama or LSU from still getting in the playoff. And that's something that yep. actually we're going to, you know, address here in a second. But to me, it's it's one of those two teams simply because they're going to have the prestige and the, you know, the, the street cred to continue being thought of as one of the premier teams in college football. Using my uh, black belt in Google, I, I did find that neat little 538 uh, prediction machine. And so as it stands today, they still give Oklahoma 30% chance of making the playoff. Oregon, 23%. Georgia, 16%. Um, and then like Utah, 14, Florida, 12. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of interesting. And uh, Wake Forest, you mentioned Wake. Uh, they've got a 1% chance. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. I mean, look. a one-loss team. <laughs> they, would have a, they would have a marquee win. They'd, you know, when, yeah. you know, they'd be in charge of their conference. I mean, that's, you know, more power to them. I hope it happens. I mean, look, Cincinnati mm. technically, I mean, still has a shot. Um, Minnesota, of course, right? Like, so, you know, anything can happen in the next few weeks. And actually, to go along with that, this is from uh, St. Louis Wookie. Um, he wants to know what's the likelihood of an all Big Ten slash SEC playoff this year? So if Penn State upsets Ohio State and loser of LSU, Alabama runs the table, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think that's possible? Would the college football playoff committee select just two conferences to represent the playoffs? I don't think so. Um, I don't think so either. I, I don't think so either. I, I don't. I don't think as, and I have a harder time envisioning any conference other than the SEC getting two teams in. Right. Yeah. So I think the SEC has sort of they have this uh, you know voodoo power of being able to get two teams in seemingly at will. They've convinced everyone that. Um, they're head and shoulders, the best conference in the country, uh, and that that no other conference is even close. You know, I, I really think the SEC West and the Big Ten East are um, are head and shoulders above other divisions. Sure, but you know, it's the you, you have the SEC East and the Big Ten West that are like, okay, 
you're, you're fine. So I, I just don't see because what, what I struggle with, with the big 10 side of that equation, I don't struggle with the sec getting two teams in like just thinking how these playoff voters, um, committee members have worked in recent years. I struggle to see, okay, what's the scenario where Ohio state loses and still gets in. Cause it would have to be Ohio state losing and getting in, I think to, to be the most legitimate shot. Like right. people would look and say, okay, Ohio state had a bad game or whatever. They lost a close one to a Penn state as an example, but they, you know, um, beat the brakes off Michigan. And, you know, we still see that this is a team that's worthy of a shot in the playoff. Right. Uh, but if it's the obverse of Ohio state, you know, wins even a squeaker versus Penn state. I don't know that Penn state has, enough street cred as you put it to you know paul feinbaum was on the record this week as saying their playoff hopes were barely alive at this stage and they're undefeated <laughs> yeah and and and, 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 if, and and number five in the country right if ohio state here's the other thing though about that if ohio state okay let's ohio state wins out goes to the big 10 championship game and is somehow upset by minnesota right for example and minnesota is is one out i don't know that they're putting <laughs> minnesota i don't know i mean maybe but i if Ohio State just lost to Minnesota, I don't know that they're putting them in the the college football playoff and then meeting no. Ohio State. So here's yeah, here's I what I would say, and I agree with you, but I agree with you because I think part of the committee's job is to legitimize the playoff, and nothing mm. would illegitimize it more than to really buy into the fact that there's just two good conferences. We can't look at other teams. We're just going to put four teams in from two conferences – um, I just I don't think they would do that. I think they realize that would cause an uproar and justifiably so. And frankly, I mean, I think putting two teams in from the same conference is, is enough to justify people going. This is BS. So, yeah, I just I don't think they would do it. And I think it's because they know that they would get a enormous amount of heat um, for doing so. And, and really, it wouldn't be fair to a lot of quality teams from other conferences. I think it would be really stupid if they did. that. Yeah. You'd have to have like a two or three loss Pac-12 champion. Yeah. You have to have, you know, if, if, so if Clemson loses to to Wake, as an example. Sure. Then you could say, okay, Clemson, Clemson plays in a super trash conference and they, you know, barely beat North Carolina and they lost to whoever it is. And so, so you, so you'd have to sweep them aside and there's nobody else in the ACC who deserves it. So then right. it's okay. Well, if Oregon somehow lost one or two more games, if Utah also lost one or two more games, because if either of those teams, you know, gets through as a, as a one loss pack 12 champion, you have to put them in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A second so no, Big Ten team. So, right. There just aren't enough. I scenarios. just don't see a path there. Right. right. And and I agree with that. There just aren't enough scenarios that are likely for that to, to, to be likely or to be possible. I don't think uh, this next one here, this is from Donovan. Donovan wants to know, is it just me or is Justin Fields not able to complete a deep pass to a receiver when the receiver has running room? He seems to do just fine on deep darts thrown to the end zone. Uh, but I can't remember him completing a deep quote unquote lob. Uh, here's my response to Donovan. I don't care. I don't, <laughs> not to be not to be a jerk about it, Donovan. But it, this is this this is the kind of picking nits that I'm talking about, right? Where we are just looking for any kind of weakness that we can because we're paranoid and we're Ohio State fans, and something has to be wrong for us to be happy. Uh, to me, that's again, I'm not trying to crap on you, dude, but like that that is. Man, that is the tiniest of criticisms. I, I just cannot see that. I think he's doing just fine on deep passes. I saw a great 
um, passing chart comparison a week or so ago that was, you know, was comparing, I think these were NFL quarterbacks and, and maybe even, you know, the, the all time great quarterbacks. I really don't remember the details. I just remember that it was a neat looking graphic that showed it's almost like a heat map of where um, different quarterbacks completed most of their passes. And, and, you know, so very few quarterbacks have an even distribution of, you know, a high completion rate at every spot in the field tendencies, or you're going to have, um, you know, routes that you like better, you know, some, and so that, I think that's just human nature, right? You're not going to see um, a quarterback, even the best quarterback in the country, who is going to be flawless at every type of pass and every type of situation. Maybe, maybe you, you, you may be right. I, I don't, I don't know, Donovan, I guess I haven't sat down and sketched out um, his, his uh, passing chart there, but I've, I've been super impressed. I do think, and I think Joe Clapp pointed this out earlier in the season, that he tends to overthrow receivers in certain situations. Yeah, he, um, to I, the boundary I, sometimes he definitely yep. he skies them a little bit, which is fine. Yeah. I mean, a lot of a lot of quarterbacks do that, but like I would rather him do that than make errant stupid throws. You know what I mean? Like, fine, you're not going to hit everything down the field, but at least it's good decisions, right? At least you're like putting yeah. them in places where only the receiver would be able to get to it. And as long as you're doing that, I don't, you know, you don't have to be perfect at doing it. When you're still completing, you know, 70% of your passes, it's <laughs> fine like i'm okay with you not doing great at like quote-unquote lobs frankly um and i don't and i don't need him to be johnny unitas in this offense right so like that's that's the other thing he doesn't have to be the the greatest quarterback in history um and what's fun about the ryan day offense i mean i think this is a ryan day thing that's different than urban meyer thing because we go back and look at haskins and it was funny because, you know, we talked like Haskins was running like C3PO through what 10 games last <laughs> right. season. And it right. really wasn't until the end of the season we were like, oh, Dwayne been reading his mentions on Twitter. And now all of a sudden he's out there running like, <laughs> I mean, he's not Braxton right. Miller, but, he, you know, he's out there making plays and hurtling dudes and craziness. And so, you know, that's, I think there's a, a thing with this Ryan Day offense that he is so good at making the adjustments to the personnel. And in this case, you know, so we haven't seen, fields have to make plays with his legs all that much a couple right. there were a couple instances in in the rain game here uh versus wisconsin where you know and, and we <laughs> we're all like holding our collective breaths that oh god he landed bad on that back again and but he day's offense is so adaptable to the personnel right that, you know he's going to put that that quarterback in the best position to be successful in almost every situation. He's just shown an ability to do that through these first, what are we, uh, 10 or 11 games as a head coach. Yeah. And you don't, and you don't have like a Devin Smith type either. That's the other thing. Like you've got, you've got wide receivers who are excellent, who are very, very good, but they're not jump ball type guys typically. And that's fine. And you don't need them to be because they're really good at pretty much everything else. And so as a result, you're not going to see a lot of like rainbow, like bombs because you don't need to do that. That's not how the offense really functions. So I'm fine with it. Uh, last That's question. the other thing I like about this uh, this, this um, Ohio State offense and this current set of of wide receivers, and and you could include J.K. Dobbins and and these tight ends in here as well. But sure, the number of different ways that Ohio State can hurt you in the passing game, right, is kind of is kind of fun right now, you know, because you can we've seen we've seen tight ends catching touchdowns this season. My God, it's finally right. happened. You know, you're seeing, uh, you know, some different. The route running has been fantastic. 
Uh, and the skill set of a guy like Chris Olave is very different from the skill set of a KJ Hill. And both those guys are making plays and and setting uh, records or at least having career performances on a regular basis, right? So that's the, that's the other thing that's really kind of fun. I think so much of that is scheme, but so much of that obviously is Brian Hartline's individual position coaching. Man, what a what a star that guy is. And, and obviously recruiting, um, you know, the best athletes in the country is, is it's just really fun to watch it all coming together right. uh, in this kind of beautiful harmony. Well, and, and as you said, JK Dobbins has been playing a part in this as well. I and mean, the dude had, I mean, he had three receptions yeah. against Wisconsin with almost 60 yards, right? Like the, he, the guy has been, so you're right. The, the way this offense is done is in, it's super modular and it can be really adaptable for the situation. And it's just, it's really a cool thing to watch. Uh, last question real quick before we get out of here. This is from our good friend, Alvin. Alvin simply wants to point out, and missed all this, you know, football talk, the basket bucks are ranked, you know, they're ranked pretty highly in these preseason polls. They, they're getting hype. Uh, how do you feel about, you know, when, when should we really start talking about this basketball team season openers coming up here pretty soon? Um, I know we don't talk about that as much because they're, it almost feels like you don't really know what the first official game is because they're like scrimmage, scrimmage is this a real team? You know what I mean? Like they're not really sure, you know, whether they're going to be like game, like big time ready yet. But when do we start talking about this team uh, maybe being a legitimate uh, big 10 threat, especially in the light that there's the scrimmage that they had against Louisville, right? Where they beat Louisville, which is a good, decent team uh, preseason top 10. I, I don't know. How are you feeling about the basket bucks right now? I mean, do you, so two things that, that leapt in my mind as soon as you asked this question. One, you know, we've gone 60 minutes here practically without mentioning the news, which I think is, you know, some of the biggest news of the week. And that's that the rosy cheeked assassin is retiring from right. his uh, professional basketball dreams to pursue med school at Ohio State. I mean, you know, we, we've gone all this time without even mentioning Aaron Kraft. That's pretty crazy. Uh, and yeah, you're right. So Buckeyes debuting at what number 18 in the, um, in the preseason poll. That's fantastic. Like this is, uh, this is exciting time. It's also, so basketball and, uh, the other thing that makes this such a fun slash, um, challenging time for you to, to talk about anything other than football. This is the last weekend we'll have without college wrestling in the mix. Oh, that's right. That's right. Sunday, the 10th, the Buckeyes kick off the 100th season of Ohio State University wrestling and uh, doing it in the new Cavelli Arena there in the Jennings family um, wrestling facility. So it's a pretty exciting time for the marquee sports at Ohio State in general. And and the fact that, you know, you've got Ohio State potentially on track to contend, if not win a national title in football, you've got Chris Holtman has got just really amazing things happening with this basketball program. I, I think they're legitimate um, contender for the Big Ten title. So you look, Michigan State, as expected, is at the top of the heap in that that AP poll, uh, right. preseason poll. Maryland is a top 10 team. And then you've got uh, Purdue behind the Buckeyes at number 23. So, you know, Big Ten basketball conference for sure. And you'd say, okay, if Michigan State's the prohibitive favorite, oh, man, Ohio State's going to be pretty good this season. I think it's absolutely time to, to start keeping one eye on the Buckeyes. Hey, they... Apparently, um, you know, sent Louisville back to Kentucky uh, feeling not pretty good from their closed-door scrimmage last week, too. So big things happening left and right. Yeah, by the way, and and before we get into all that, I think, you know, we've got this opportunity, obviously, with the – 
uh, the bye week here to talk about, you know, those things. I think that's something that we definitely need to spend some time on next time. Uh, but uh, my 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 bros over there at Utah State also making an appearance <laughs> in the AP Top 25 preseason poll. So I'm just saying, if you need a B team, they're always there. All right. They're always there. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for this this basketball team. I think they're going to be a lot better than maybe people think. And Chris Holtman, man, is just he's he's the real deal. I am super in love with that guy. And uh, man, how lucky are I? Like, think about the the upheaval and the chaos that sometimes happens at uh, schools like Ohio State and athletic departments like Ohio State, and the fact that you're able to, you know, you end up getting rid of, you know. Mata, obviously, uh, Urban Meyer leaves, and then you end up with Ryan Day and Chris Holtman as the replacements. I mean, that schools don't usually get that lucky, and I think it's pretty awesome that that those uh, replacements and those dudes are there and, and kicking ass. So I'm excited. We'll definitely talk. Yeah, we'll definitely have to talk more about that uh, next week and, and get into wrestling, of course, because there's ex- there's some exciting things, Andy, at the wrestling side of things as well, and I'm excited to hear from you. Uh, about all that because i i want to see ohio state continue to be a contender right i mean you got penn state and ohio state right there battling out i want to see ohio state make some noise nationally and hopefully like you know win a national title at some point it's going to be a fun season this year this is going to be a super young team relative to what we've seen the last couple years but the fun part about that is the last couple recruiting cycles tom ryan's been recruiting um with with the help of uh his wrestling's Mark Pantone uh, as a fellow named Anthony Ralph. He's really taken Tom's natural talents as a recruiter and kind of added the data and analytics component to where they're able to go out and really evaluate some of the, these uh, high school recruits at a high level. Um, Coach Ralph's really done a tremendous job there. And so these last couple of recruiting classes that are going to be, you're going to have a couple of true freshmen start this season. You're going to have several redshirt freshmen start this season. Um, two, you're going to have, uh, two, you got two senior captains and, and uh, likely three senior starters overall. And, and so really that redshirt freshman class and the true freshman class are going to be pulling um, you know, a fair percentage of um, the spots on the starting roster out of the, the, the 10 weight classes. So it's going to be an exciting season, you know, season 100, uh, new new facility. That competition venue is super sweet. Um, they hosted the wrestle-offs before a, a live studio audience, if you will, at their Cavelli hmm. Arena um, here a week ago, and the place was packed. They were lined out the door uh, an hour before um, the doors opened to to get spots, and it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Whether or not they're they're going to contend with uh, Kale Sanderson's um, unstoppable death machine at Penn State remains to be seen because of the youth movement. But there right. are for sure some national title contenders. A guy like Sammy Sasso, as a redshirt freshman, is going to be absolutely a, a potential title contender in his first season as a starter. Um, uh, the Decatur brothers are going to be fantastic. So yeah, there are some, there's some really cool things that we're going to talk about. And uh, yeah, we're basically two weeks from season opener. There you go. Good times, man. All right. Well, we will see everyone next week. We've got a buy, but that doesn't mean things aren't happening and we'll, we'll be excited to talk to you all about them. So until then I'm Johnny, I'm Andy, and we'll see you next time.